0: The is-it-morning-yet deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Get any-sized iced coffee for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And sweeten the deal when you pair it with a baked apple or pumpkin and creme pie. After all, why wait to treat yourself? Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
1: If we were to go by stats Prison is a gold mine camp With no backs. Nigga it's a wizard in the system holding all my blacks It started in 1640 Shackles around my ankles Melanin meant that I can't go to schools or read Cause who's gonna serve my master Also the pastor described all my people last The sheep who exist to upkeep the land We feed the economy Creep all the crops but then feed on it modestly Consciously knowing you're lesser than And lighter skin means that you're better now so you in the house taking whips and probably dick Cause well, you a fetish now Meanwhile, I'm grateful for all that I'm giving I'm picking this cotton in rhythm I pray for a lot of the living Escaping is probably a sin And if God ever finds out that I want my freedom Well, damn, then God's gonna call in the wrath. Two horses with opposite maps Those nooses, they up in the trees and I'm hanging But I'll never fall like my pants Then came the 13th Amendment Written in 1865.
2: So I just want to say hello, Slavery everybody. Over, Welcome to the No Good Podcast. We are joined by an illustrious guest. She's one of Canada's rising superstars. She's lyrical, she's outspoken. She is Havaya Mighty. Havaya, thank hey. you for coming on. We uh, really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, all the great musical talents around Canada. And most importantly, we just want to hope that you're safe in 2020. It's really been bodying everybody this year, to be honest, Thanks. but you seem to be having, making the most out of this year. So I just want to start off by asking you, has the process of creating and crafting music changed for you ever since the pandemic has started?
0: Yeah, I would say it changed a bit. Um, not a lot, cause I always did have like an in-house studio where I did a lot of my work, but right now it's like everything is in my in-house studio. So, um, I always record my own vocals, but I usually do a little bit more outsourcing for production. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like I've been doing a lot more hands-on, you know, getting the stems from producers or actually producing stuff myself. It's just a little more hands-on and a lot less, like, input from other people for the origin of the song. I usually have a little bit more input, like, for the beginning portion of a record, whereas a lot of the new records I've been working on, are like truly coming from like only me and like there's no one else just because literal quarantine, right? And um, so like I have a a bunch of tracks now and I'm hoping to get into some studios and just like kind of really flesh them out. But a lot of these records that I've done have been like so much me in the origin process, which is really cool. Um, But it's definitely a bit different than every other record I've worked on
3: in the past. That's really interesting. So it takes you to a different, <clears throat> I guess a different facet, right? Excuse me, my, yeah. my voice kind of got caught up. <clears throat> Hell, no worries. Um, I, I think uh, one of the more interesting parts uh, about you know your career and what you've started so far um, is is your album Thirteenth Floor, which which was awesome, and and what it signifies is is something really important as well. Uh, first of all, we, we both listened to the album, great album, mm-hmm. and um, thank you. You know, we, we appreciate someone from Toronto really pushing the envelope as an artist to talk about social justice issues. Um, mm-hmm. Not, not only just here in Canada, but around the world you've been doing that, but um, that could be a scary task at first, you know, and, and mm-hmm. approaching it as an artist. It could be, a, it could be a scary thing. It could be daunting a little bit, um, especially with being an up and coming artist. Right. Right. Um, were, were you um, kind of afraid of the, re- of the reception? Were, were you afraid of what people were going to think about it?
0: Yeah, I'm always kind of, I mean, I'm still afraid of what people will think about it, but luckily I'm not too afraid to do it. Um, I think I just recognize that um, I navigate life always keeping in the back of my mind and being cognizant of the fact that the perception of me might not be unbiased. And in fact, it's usually biased, right? So like Mm
3: -hmm.
0: me being a black woman with dreads like is a bias in itself in this country. So. I think I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with what my representation might be not being the normality, which makes it a little bit easier for me to make music that might offend, might not conform, might make people uncomfortable.
2: Right.
0: And yeah, there's always a fear that it will mess with the algorithm of the amount of people I could reach or like, you know, kind of like chop down like the masses of people that would be willing to take me in. But at right. the same time, like, I recognize that I, like, I'm niche, like, I'm niche by design. Like, I'm, I, I just, even if I tried to be, like, the mainstream artist and I tried to, like, get on, like, the super mainstream beats and rap about, like, what everybody else is rapping about. Like, if I tried to do the formula, I don't think it would authentically feel like me anyway. So, like, right. I think I just recognize that I'm, like, I am, like, the representation of kind of what an, an underdog is. And, like, like, I'm cool with that. So, yeah, I I mean, like, yeah, people might be uncomfortable by things I have to say, but I I at least am willing to still say it knowing that it might work against, not against me, it can never work against me because it is me. I think it could work against, you know, maybe, like, the mainstream, like, capacity in certain places, but, like, is that really what I want anyway,
2: you know?
3: I just, uh, the interesting part about all that to me is, is the vulnerability of it, right? You're putting yourself Mm -hmm. out there and you're putting your own experiences out there for the world to kind of share. Right. Um, and, and in that, you know, you, you get to hear other people's stories, other, other situations, you know, have, have you ever had a, a fan or, or someone who has listened to your music kind of reach out to you and say, wow, this, this song had really impacted me or this song really affected me in a certain way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, a lot, actually, but one that really sticks out was a girl reached out to me and said that in women color, like, really, like, really affected her, and, you know, she didn't realize as a dark-skinned woman, like, the things that have impacted her growing up, and like, she, like, went into, like, stories of, of her upbringing when she was younger, and I just really remember, like, how that song impacted this person. The way that they messaged me, like how long the message was, like they really took the time to like right. really let me know, like the specific ways in which the song made them feel seen and not so dismissed. And like I remember, like writing in Women Color and thinking, "Oh, this song talks Brick's about me." By like, the way, love it. Yeah, love oh, thank clothes. you, thank you. I appreciate that. But I remember writing it and thinking, "Oh, this isn't like traumatic enough. Like I haven't been through anything like." Super, like, difficult. Like, I don't know if this will resonate with anybody. I'm like rapping about being bullied in grade seven. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, like, to be honest, speaking to things like that, I thought it was like too light, but that was my real story to tell. And so when people started resonating with like lines like, I gotta do two times more to get four times less, and resonating with the idea of being, you know, a tomboy, just kind of like the underdog perspectives, you know, there's nothing super intense, like, you know, there's.
3: But I didn't it's feel like, it's authentic, though. You know, it, it's right. authentic to who you are,
0: and and I think that that's what I learned is that it's not about writing the super intense, crazy action filled story that like you know tells this really wild incident that happened. It's about authenticity, and that song really taught me that you may not think that you're connecting with people through your personal experiences, and then like it can connect so immensely. Like that song is one of the like. And when I do a lot of interviews, they reference like a lot of lines in there that I think connected with people in ways that I just did not think it would. So,
2: yeah. Right. Um, Well, we've discussed this a lot on the podcast, but for some reason, musicians and artists have this extra added pressure to comment and provide social commentary about what's happening in the world. But let's say for an example, sports, they're actually told the opposite, which is wrong to say athletes should just shut up and dribble. But why do you think this happens? Like, why is there this extra added pressure for musicians to do something about it? I guess guess because of the position
0: of, like, access and, like, how many people's opinions they can help shift. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just the fact that musicians have, like, a platform that allows them to kind of, like, put their opinion out in front of a masses of people. So people think that, I guess... I mean, I guess musicians, um, people that play sports should be the same. But for some reason, you're right. There is this, there's a little bit more of a distinction with like people that like are into athleticism and that's their job. And then like musicians, maybe because athletes like really what they say is not at all a part of their job. Whereas, you know, if you're a rapper, singers, it's still a lot, a lot of times your words and your, your ideas Mm -hmm. that are impacting your audience. So I think it comes from that I personally put a responsibility on myself um, to pay attention to what what I put out there and how my messaging impacts a large audience uh, but I don't think that every artist does or or necessarily should have to for me having access to an audience means I have to mm-hmm. um, it just means I have to pay attention to like what my impact has over that group of people right, um, right. it doesn't necessarily mean that anybody that's able to encapsulate that many people is necessarily like a really positive influence and you know it should only be like sharing positive things because we can very clearly see that that's not how that's not how fame and and stuff works but me personally if I'm going to be occupying like a a, a, you know a stage where I can talk to a masses of people I want to be doing it in a way where I'm contributing only positivity or as much as I can positivity on behalf of those people so i guess it's just how the individual views it right. um i think that i get the concept of like feeling like well i'm not i don't want to be a role model i just want to make music and if you like me for the music cool and if that's the type of musician that you are i i, I understand that for sure i do i do put that responsibility on myself though
3: right I, I think that's that's important though because uh music is is such a big part of our lives it's a, such a big component i saw this quote uh, a while back where um, I think it was Christopher Nolan or another director, But he said, fifty percent of movies are the the music and what the music contains. Without the music, the movie would be horrible, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because music adds that human connection. It adds the emotion of everything that we kind of live through in our lives. We relate music back to certain experiences, certain situations. And the fact that you're using your music as a platform and a platform for social justice, it's it's important because it, it relays a message through through a, a genuine human connection. Um not only, not only are you extremely outspoken, but you're also you know, using your platform for good, which by the way, we have the utmost respect for here yes. at the No Good Podcast. Um, oh, thank you. We're we're both really big fans of your song 13th. And and for us, you know, we've we've talked about this before, Nat. It's it's yeah. there's this common misconception about racism in Canada and it not existing or it not being mm-hmm. as bad as as the states, right? What do you what do you feel about that? And and what do you have to say to people who, who say things like that?
0: Um, Well, this is why I just try to put a little bit more information out there as much as I can. And, you know, I'm also trying to do a little bit more research uh, so that when those conversations arise, I can present factually based evidence. I I really don't have too much time to go back and forth with personal opinions because, you know, there's people out there that don't know that don't know what racism looks like or will argue argue with you whether or not it exists. So, like, there's a lot of people that waste your time out here talking about things that make absolutely no sense. Um, I don't really have time for that. And so I feel like it's really good to know more about like the facts that exist based on Canadian history around Canada day. I was doing a little bit of digging. I learned uh, a lot more than I knew then. And still I barely know anything about just kind of like how we've contributed to transatlantic trade, uh, slave trade, how we've contributed to the treatment of Japanese and Chinese Canadians when they first arrived, how we've contributed to the predisposition of, of black people and how, um, how the black lineage in Canada heavily started in Halifax and Nova Scotia and mm-hmm. just there's so much more digging that has to happen um, but I think the biggest thing is there's this like there's, the, there's negative connotations of what black people are like as a community and then we, we, we discuss that but we don't discuss what precedes slavery, which is the origin that we as Black people learn. The first thing I ever learned in, in school about African slavery was that we were taken from Africa and brought to the the Americas. And
3: mm-hmm.
0: like, there's nothing before that. There's nothing royal. There's no ownership. There's no there's no land. There's like there's just nothing. But there's what in between. Yeah, right. There's absolutely nothing before that that we learn about. So it's like, how can you strive for more? How can you like strive to achieve what you once had if you don't know what it was and if you think that it was only ever you know, being taken from your land. It's just, I, understanding indigenous culture a little bit more has helped me understand what black people need to strive for as well. Like we have, we have lost our identity. We have lost our culture. Um, Yeah. In, in 450 years of slavery, it's not, it's no longer in the country that we live in. Um, The language has changed. The, the outfits have changed. Everything has changed, Mm -hmm. right? And, and so when, as I learned more about indigenous culture and how much there how much there was an importance through the idea of white supremacy to remove their culture, to remove their hair, to remove, yes. uh, you know, their language, uh, I realized that the parallels are exactly the same. But the removal process, I think, for a lot of those things for black people has 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 set like it has set. And when I communicate with black people a lot, sometimes within the community, there's a lot of internal pain, a lot of internal trauma, and hate because the removal process, the extraction has happened, like the tooth has been removed. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I feel like with us, there's a lot, it's not even retaining at this point, it's reintroducing. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like a lot of what I'm trying to do when it comes to Canadian history is just focusing on reintroducing the history that's been stripped uh, the same way that a lot of the the other uh, marginalized communities here are, are reintroducing and maintaining. We need to do a lot of that reintroducing so that we can understand, hey, before, Um, before the 1600s, this existed. In the 1500s, in the 1400s, in the 1300s, this existed. This is what we contributed. This is what we've invented. This is what our people look like. This is what they dress like. This is what they contributed. So that you're aware, because I I strongly believe that those who forget their past are doomed to repeat it. Of course. If you don't know what you came from, you're just going to fall into a cycle. And we hear about cycles all the time. Um, And I do believe that transgenerational trauma is a real thing. Mm -hmm. I just think that there's so much so much of what slavery has done has, like, has like the impact has been left, and so right. I just had an interview before this one, and, and I was, and even yesterday I had an interview, and I was saying the same thing. What is the bigger picture? And I think the starting is that education and the discussion, yes. which we are seeing it happening, and then somewhere in the middle, there's a whole bunch of work that has to be done internally and externally. For um, sure. And then I think what we what we as black people need to get to in the very end. Is really entrepreneurial minded ownership. Like I really think that that's what we what we've lost through losing identity of ourselves, through losing identity of our language, um, through losing the connectivity of the man and the woman even, or the identity with your melanin even or the, the like recognizing the value of of what you are, I think like knowing that you deserve to own knowing that you have something to offer to a community that has also been stripped and then follows this compliance with what you're associated with maybe it's gang culture maybe it's drug usage and then then you start to see this influx of criminality um you start to see people start to internally identify with what they're told they are mm-hmm. that's transgenerational trauma so it's like it's really deep i think the undoing of what we've learned and the reintroducing of what we don't know Yes. Um, And then I think in the end, it's just getting back to like entrepreneurial. Um, We see a lot of marginalized groups fighting against white supremacy, but still maintaining that ownership uh, and, and really still kind of representing for their community. And, and I want to see black people do that a little bit more. We see black people doing it, but often through an entity that is not owned by us. You know, we're heavily in a lot of fields We're entertainers and, and we're in all these different fields, but we don't own, any of it. A good majority of it, yeah. A good majority of it. And 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 the narratives that exist can therefore know they can't they can't be dictated by us because we don't own the narratives anymore. Um, So yeah, I think it's like it's a long process. It's conversations, you know, between people that are and aren't black. It's conversations Mm -hmm. with other marginalized communities. It's it's identifying with the plight and trauma of other marginalized groups and what they face as well. I think there is a lot of community-based effort that has to happen, which we are seeing through protests and, you know, marches. We are seeing a bit of what I think needs to, what needs to start, what we need to start to see for it to happen. Um, But it has to continue into internal work and external work. This external work has to continue. Uh, And Mm. then there has to be an end goal and an end game. And for me, as a musician, I'm recognizing as I am building my craft, as I'm building a team of people, that entrepreneurship is what's saving me. Own- owning my music is what's saving me. Having the ability to identify with a thing that I can put out there that that, that, that validates my worth, showcases my empowerment, that is what is saving me. And that's yeah. like, I think, reminding me, oh, Black people don't really have this. This is why you stand out. And then you look at other communities and it's like, well, this is like this is taught in the in the home, like the idea of entrepreneurial mindedness, the idea of understanding your money. This is taught in the home at a young age, and we yeah. we we don't even have the time anymore to. So it's just like yeah, I think it's just a <laughs> yeah. rebrand. It's almost like a rebranding.
2: Yes, without the artist, honestly, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Honestly, wow, well, it's definitely important to have education on both sides and to continue to build that infrastructure that is needed. But definitely mm-hmm. be sure to check out. Um, Havaya, who was the first black woman to win the Polaris Award and the first hip hop act to win the award for her new album, 13th Floor, as well as a single 13th, where Havaya discusses her own journey through racial prejudice and systemic oppression in North America. You can find that along with the rest of her music on all streaming platforms. Now, before we go, we have a few quick rapid fire questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So if there's only, if there's one thing you would change about the music industry in Canada, what would it be and why? Uh, I would say infrastructure for hip
0: hop. Why? Because there's no infrastructure for hip hop. That's why there's so many hip hop acts that are really good that haven't really been able to like reap to me Preach. their reward or their roses. Um, right. I just think that it doesn't exist here and I would change that if I could.
3: Okay. Who are some artists that inspire you?
0: Um, a lot. Right now I'm trying to pay attention to the artists in, in the city. Cardinal Fischel, Jesse Riz, you know, Sean Leon, Claremont, people I've worked with, people I hope to work with. Um, And it just, I think any artist that is very consistent, consistency is key. That was the mantra this morning. Any artist that is continually putting stuff out, whether it's music, content, trying to stay relevant and in a positive way, uh, those artists are inspiring me to also continue to be relevant, uh, consistent, and,
3: you know, maintain that output. Dope that that Claremont song is with uh with you and him was really dope. By the way, um, what's uh, what's what's coming next for you? New music, new music is on the
0: way. I'm working on it. Yes, always. Um, uh, another single from the album, Mm -hmm. and then and then new music. So we're we're working right now for sure.
3: Cool, cool, awesome, man. Uh, Haviah, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the No Good Podcast. We're both big fans of your work, and especially just because you're you're a Toronto artist, and and we're from here in Toronto, we we're just, it's exciting to see an up and coming artist from here for sure. Um, look forward to seeing you on the world stage once again. You guys can find Haviah's new album Thirteenth Floor on Spotify and all streaming platforms, and her Instagram is at Havaya Mighty. That's H A V I A H. Mighty, if you want want to uh, follow her on her social media platforms. Yep. Yes, that's yes. it. Yes,
2: it's a no good podcast. Until next time, thank you again. I'm the same
1: one singing these tunes. You're not raw, and you really need rules. I'm as smooth as breeze moves. I can prove my gene pool is made for the cathedral. My man is so unequal. I wanted you playing the game still. I weigh in, I'm tipping the scale still. I built the platform in the frame still. I think you rappers ought to stay still. Unless you're really trying to break bills, otherwise I break dreams. That's why I have my bars at the same theme. I see the light at the end of the ray beam. I mean. I have always had an attitude, you will always think I'm mad at you and get walked over like a pair of shoes. I fly over like a parachute, and hate you with that bird being cock. like a girl meets guy. You can never block that don't you? I know how to walk in talk it. They don't how to blah blah, but they don't want the rah-rah, look they don't want the karma, nah they don't got the armor, on the clay there's no sriracha, no sauce. It's game day at Raising pains. If you want to order like a champ, it's action off the field you need to focus on. The only play you're running is chicken. So what combo are you picking? Make it a perfect season. We've got tailgates of hand-battered, cooked-to-order chicken fingers and cane sauce and jugs of freshly made tea and lemonade. All available to order online or on our app. Touchdown! This season is about to be unbeatable. Raising Cane's chicken fingers, one love. (laughs)